Welcome to 52 Weeks of Hope. This is where you get to hear how to feel happy, balanced, and worthwhile. How to make that lonely ache vanish and feel empowered, confident, and secure. I'm Lauren Abrams, and today we're talking about community mindfulness and spirituality with Rabbi Jill Zimmerman. Rabbi Jill's a visionary who went from teacher, mom, and gardener to the founder of Hineni, the Mindful Heart Community. She's been a lifelong seeker who got into Jewish mysticism that led her on a path to study mindfulness and meditation. She became a rabbi at the age of 47 and has built a remarkable online community that manifests her vision, as you can too. Today, we get to learn how Rabbi Jill overcomes obstacles as they arise in her life, her tools in her toolbox when she goes through hard times and hits roadblocks. Feel a true sense of connectedness as Rabbi Jill reminds us that we can always change our path no matter what's happening around us. Rabbi Jill lives her vision of building and sustaining community. I'm sure we'll all leave today feeling full of possibilities. Welcome to 52 Weeks of Hope, Rabbi Jill Zimmerman. Hi, Lauren. Hi. So happy to be here. So great to see you, Lauren. Oh, you too. It's been a little while. Yeah. Thought that we would start in the midst of COVID and everything going on in the world. I thought we would just kind of start. And for people that don't know, Rabbi Jill is ahead of her time. She has been doing a lot of virtual classes and community and everything else before it was necessity. So do you want to talk a little bit about what you do and what you've been doing even before we were stay-at-home orders and so on? Well, I, you know, I was ordained when I was 40, or I was ordained, I went to rabbinic school when I was 47. So I had always had a vision of what, you know, my rabbi world would be. And it was to focus on spirituality and kind of psycho-spiritual work where we look at wisdom from both Judaism and also from other sources and always asking the question, what does this mean to me? How can what we're learning make me a better person, make us better? So I've been always interested in the intersection of mindfulness and spirituality. And so around 2011, I left a congregational position and started Path With Heart which pretty soon went online. So I've been teaching online for a long time. And so my community is from all over the world. I did start also a community, a spiritual community that I founded and lead called Hineni, which in Hebrew means I am present. And so it's all about how do we become present in our lives And so that was already going on. And when COVID happened, and like exactly like you said, Lauren, when being virtual became a necessity, then people really um, opened up to the idea of connecting online, connecting virtually through this. And so I've had, as soon as COVID started, I knew that people really needed, we all needed spiritual sustenance. I mean, I needed it. I could feel it everywhere I was in in social media as well as in my own community. And so I started doing some virtual, you know, teachings about how to walk through this time with consciousness 
and hope because there was so much despair. So really since March, my work has focused on helping people deal with the reality of what we're dealing with right now. Now, I think of you as the Jewish spirituality and mindfulness. Yeah. How did you come about that? You said this all started with a vision that you had, 2011. So when I was in rabbinic school, there was an organization called the Institute for Jewish Spirituality, which at that time was out in New York. At that time, they were training clergy, Jewish educators, rabbis, and cantors in mindfulness. And there, you know, we did Jewish yoga, and there was text that wove throughout everything that we did, meditation, etc. And when I was in, I think my fourth year of rabbinic school, and I went to this training, I, it was like a weekend retreat, I felt like this is exactly why I went to rabbinic school. This is what I, this is the kind of rabbi that I want to, this is the kind of work I want to do. And so that really became central for me and realized that I wanted my whole rabbinate to be about mindfulness and being present. Because for me, Judaism actually is at the core all about being present, being mindful. Okay, I just have to, what's Jewish yoga? <laughs> is it different than regular so yoga? So no, I mean, okay, so Jewish yoga is, let me, let me give you an example. We would do yoga and weave in Jewish themes and texts. And so when you're doing the poses, you may do the same pose that you would do in any other kind of yoga because the teachers were yoga teachers who were also rabbis and cantors. So we would do a pose, but you know how like in a yoga class, there's the teacher is often speaking, either reading poetry or speaking about the significance, you know, what you're feeling in your body. Jewish yoga uses Jewish metaphors and themes and different texts and teachings so that it's all integrated. Does that make sense? Yeah, I'm not, a, I'm not a yoga teacher, so it's just my own experience because what it is, you know, there's a whole new thing right now called um, embodiment, embodied Judaism, and I think it's embodied spiritual practice. So it's like you go to, let's say you go to a mindfulness weekend or retreat and you hear teachings that you resonate with when you do an embodied practice, you actually can experience though that same teaching in your body, right? So that is what happens in Jewish yoga and other kinds of um, embodiment. Okay. And when you said you saw a vision of what yes. you wanted uh, yeah. practice to be, what did you actually see? Did you then manifest that and make that happen? I would say yes. And I would say that it's taken until like the last year to really have the Hineni community and also just all of Path with Heart, which is my larger organization, that it's taken a while for that to come into place. 
So the vision for me personally, my personal vision is that I wanted the teaching that I do to be central in my work so that it wasn't something like usually when you're a clergy person and you're at a congregation, for example, your work is doing bar bat mitzvahs or doing wedding, doing rituals, doing services, prayer service, etc. What I really want to say is that that I, I knew when I was assistant rabbi and I was um, usually when you are on a track and you're an assistant rabbi, you are doing the work of that like needs to be done in the congregation. And I realized like when I was 50 or something, however it was, I can't remember how old I was when I was ordained and I was working at the congregation. I thought, you know, I don't know how many more years I have on the planet. I wasn't in my 20s. And so I didn't want to wait until I would become a senior rabbi or somehow get a position where I could really do the work that I felt like I was called to do. And so I had to leave the organizational, congregational life in order to create the kind of work and rabbinate that I wanted. I mean, it just really didn't exist. It didn't exist anywhere to do what I wanted to do. So where do you get your mentorship and your support? So I would say that I have always been a learner and I find that for me, that when I'm learning, I feel more energized and hopeful and excited. It's a very deep feeling. And so I have since COVID, for example, started, not only have I been teaching but I've also been taking classes and with people that I respect and learning. And so that has been absolutely core to, you know, getting through difficult times is by learning from other people, you know, exploring different texts and learning things that I may not have known before. And for people going through a hard time, what have you discovered are kind of key for helping just motivate and get them through? You know, I think that the most important thing, there's a couple different steps. I mean, number one, I think it is really important to be honest and real with what's going on. So several, like I think it was a month and a half ago, I was on social media, was on Twitter, where I like to hang out. And I was particularly feeling really exhausted by just the constancy of difficult news, injustice, etc. And the feeling was just exhausted. So I went on Twitter and I posted one, one statement and a question. And the statement, I think the question was, how, what is, how would you describe your emotional state right now? I am exhausted. That's what I wrote. And I got 2,000 responses from people. It was like, I couldn't even read them all. And what I found is that just people verbalizing, like my saying, I'm exhausted, 
opened up the space for other people to say, I'm exhausted too, or people would say, actually, I wouldn't use that word. I would say I'm weary or I'm scared, or it just became a place for people to tell the truth rather than kind of shoring yourself up. This first step is always about saying what's true. And there is such power in saying what's true because then it allows other people to say what's true for them. And so just even reading what other people were going through was so helpful to me because then I felt that I wasn't so alone. And so, you know, I think that connecting with others in a really honest, vulnerable way is, for me, it is essential. And so that was the, that's the first step. And so after that, what would you suggest? Because <laughs> I absolutely agree. And I'm hoping 52 Weeks of Hope is a place for people to eventually connect and to tell their story yes. if need be and to find community if, if they have no place else and to do all those things and to say, oh yeah, me too, if they're not, if Twitter isn't there for them or if they right. don't have one. Right. So I think that when you start with just being honest and real, and especially if you're connected with other people, it opens up a conversation. And the conversation, if there is an intention to, you know, what do we do with this? It's pretty amazing um, in what people end up sharing with each other. So one thing I have noticed is that in an honest conversation, then people will say things like, this is what has helped me. So for example, people will say things like, and there were, these were conversations, these were things that actually people wrote. Someone will say, I, when I feel exhausted and really down, I think about Anne Frank. Okay. And it, I think about people who Victor Frankl, who survived Auschwitz, you know, and came out positive. In, in a sense, he was able to see the goodness. And those kind of stories, or people would say, you know, my parents were in the Depression, and this, and they got through, and then thrived. That even just hearing that, I think helps people to go, oh, wow, that's actually true. Other people have gone through really difficult times and have come through the other side. Or people would say things like, what really helps me is listening to music. And here's a song that I always go to because it's a lift. So when you're in conversation with the goal and intention of finding ways to create a pathway to hope, so for example, when I wrote, when I did that post, I mean, honestly, Lauren, it was kind of like a throw, throw away. I don't mean that in any negative way, but like I posted this question because it was exactly how I was feeling and I left the computer, you know, and I went to do my work, et cetera. And so I was blown away when I came back at the, the torrent really of emotion and from that all of that, I ended up writing a, an ebook, a, a free workbook for people called Renew. 
and it was, you know, 12 ways to relieve exhaustion. And there were just some ideas, 12 different ideas of what to do. One of them was notice the good. So this is a huge thing that people can do in times of difficulty is just to also begin to notice and include what's working, what's going well. Is that like doing a gratitude list? It, it is doing a gratitude list. It, it is. I mean, that's one way to do it. And it just means that in your consciousness, you, instead of being only focused, when darkness comes and despair comes, it can fill up your whole space. And it could feel like I'm never going to get out of this. But just then expanding your um, sight, rather, r- really, and to note even little things like the butter, the hummingbird that flies by your window, or you walk out and you see a bloom that you, that, you know, something that just bloomed, or a joke, something that makes you smile. And then you begin to understand, I think, that all of what's going on, you can include all of it. The goodness, it's like the light and the darkness. Mm-hmm. You know, the darkness exists. And this is one of the things that actually gets always makes me feel hope is just the fundamental idea that after night, after darkness, light comes. It just is a cycle that is like inherent in creation that gives me enormous hope. Or when I used to be a gardener, an avid gardener, up in a climate in Seattle where they actually had seasons, unlike down here in California where things are blooming all the time, to see um, bulbs that I would plant that would go completely dormant in the winter, like they did not exist from the naked eye. And then in the spring from some force kind of greater than myself would emerge out of the soil. That thinking about those things gives me tremendous hope. It's like there is a cycle. We do not yet know the end of the story. Oh, so I think there's some patience to be learned in that too. <laughs> we can't just pull it out. That's right. There are things that are that we really need to have patience for. Just wait. Yeah. It's hard. It is really hard, especially when things are painful and difficult. I'm writing a few different blogs right now. One's on vulnerability, the yeah. Brene Brown and all that. And so with the honesty means we have to be vulnerable, but that's how we get hope and how help, I guess. So I think you're just saying I'm exhausted. For some people that's really vulnerable for you. It's a throwaway. Yeah. You know, I don't mean it that, I mean, I think that I grew up, I grew up with a mom who always encouraged me from when I was really little to say how I was feeling and that it that feelings were okay feelings were fine you should express yourself so it has always been really easy for me to do it doesn't feel like a vulnerable thing to say i'm exhausted we were fine everything was fine so i have to be given a sheet with a list of feelings chart and go i have that one that one that one and that one <laughs> so we didn't know right Right. It's true. It's true. It makes a big difference, you know, the environment that you grew up in. And I just, you know, for... Okay. Yeah. Different life skills. 
that's all. Yeah. But I also, from my own experience, that from my own life experience, I know that when I have opened up and been vulnerable, it has opened the door for other people to be vulnerable. And when you're vulnerable with each other, that's where you can have these really real, profound conversations that are growthful. I mean, I think it was James Baldwin who said, oh, I'm going to totally mess up the quote, but it was about, you can't change anything unless you face it. It's a really beautiful quote that I messed up, but that's the bottom line, that you can only change what you can face and what you can really say. And so change comes from a place of first recognizing what's true and real. And it, it doesn't have to even be like, you don't have to go on Twitter or, or Facebook and make a big announcement like I did. Just even to have a friend or a partner, the more honest you can be, the more you open yourself up to the possibility of change and hope. Absolutely. That's what Black Lives Matter right now. We think we're so yes. progressive and we're so liberal and we're so, and the more I read, the more I say, oh, who knew? I mean, I'm a racist. Right. I mean, I never would have thought that I do. I fight discrimination at work every day as a discrimination lawyer, but yet, I mean, I've learned so much with all the reading. Yeah. It's so important. So on and yet. You know, the thing about the Black Lives Matter, if I can say this. Yes. Is that it is exactly what we're talking about. It is such a time of honesty and reckoning. And what we're seeing, I think, are a lot of things that are very ugly about or unconscious. I mean, some is obviously we know is intentional and and a lot of it is not. It's just unconscious. And so the fact that there's now so many of us who are open to learning difficult truths about our own selves that's a good, great example of what James Baldwin was talking about, is that you end up opening yourself and to face, wow, I have had these unconscious thoughts that I'm going to make conscious, means that there is that potential for things being different. Right. And it's exciting. I mean, we get to be part of a change. It's like yes. Real change. So not just as feminists, but I mean, just overall. So Rachel had, Rabbi Rachel, who's now in New York, said at the beginning in back in 2016, she said, when I was talking to her about some trouble I was having with the change in administration, she said, anytime there's a big change, there has to be pullback. And we're now experiencing the pullback, the fight against that. So we have to have this kind of, oh, let's go back to coal and let's go back, like, like just a yes. going all the way back before we can have that kind of change. So we just have to weather the storm. I always hold on to that. She doesn't even remember saying that to me, but I do because I hold on to it. Like whenever she was telling me historically how. Yes. You know, I love that she said that. And I'll tell you what I think about a lot is that... I think about times in which things were totally destroyed and what emerged from the ashes. Right. So here, 
I mean, I'm Pollyanna anyway. I think I'm always like, and Angela, who I take her her spin class and she's now started her own place and with her partners and she used to be at soul cycle but she's always like if you can see it you can be it and, and everything else and i mean she gives me hope all the time whenever i exercise to her yeah on demand now and but i've completely lost my train of thought with that but with what you had said it reminded me but she saying like we get to be part of history and part yes. of and part of all of it and it gets exciting like to keep and she gives us the energy to just keep going out there doing the work yes i'll tell you what what i think about a lot we don't know the end of this story we don't know the end of it yet so we have no idea if you just sit in this moment in time and can say things are so difficult things are painful. And if you're filled up with that, that is challenging. Well, that would be a hard place to live. It is a hard place to live. And so I do think that, like, I want to give an example. I remember when Kamala Harris was chosen as the first woman of color who is vice president. And all the videos that were done around that, like, I don't know, a couple of weeks ago, even is recent. And there were a lot of videos about Shirley Chisholm and about her run. Okay. Mm-hmm. And if you just ended what they were doing, they were making a connection. They drew a line from Shirley Chisholm. Okay. And they said, all these things happened, and here we are, a new moment that we've never had before, which is that we've never had a woman of color, you know, in this position, right, as a vice presidential position. And so it's this idea of widening the lens, is that you just don't know what the end of the story. Like, one of the things I think about a lot is right now there is so, I think there's enormous challenges to our democracy enormous. You could see it in a million different ways. And I could either be in total despair about that, or what I can be is telling myself, I don't know the end of this because this could be the birth of a new engagement in democracy that we've never seen before. You know, the amount of people that are politically active. So many things. It could be so beyond our limited vision yes i mean we only have our vision however far we can see it's lim- it is limited it's 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 only right here that's right the reason that i think about that is because i have my own experience in my life right. of having limited vision you know something difficult happens like i don't get a particular job hypothetically, right? Mm -hmm. And because I don't get that job, something else opens up that was even better than I could have imagined. It's always better (laughs) to date. Yeah. Door closes. The one that opens is always better. But when we're in it, we have no idea. I didn't get a job at a firm. I ended up having my own practice. It ended up being so great. Like, of course I work for me. I do way better working for me. (laughs) That's what I mean. It's so personal. It's like the most personal thing ever, which I get. I mean, 
because now I help people who are wrongfully terminated. <laughs> so <laughs> I wasn't terminated. I just wasn't picked. But thank God. But yes, it opened. But see, if you when you and I think that one of the things that we talk about a lot in my in our community is to think about times like if to think about times that you got through difficulties what qualities did you have or that pulled you out this reminds me of your teacher your soul cycle teacher is that if you can bring those emotions back up and bring them to bear on the current situation that is very helpful to walk through because we forget we forget, we forget how strong we are. We forget how resilient we are. And sometimes we need other people to help us remember what we forgot. Well, that's community. So Rabbi Jill, for anyone who doesn't know, her rabbinical thesis, uh, she lent it to me, which I didn't even know rabbis had rabbinical thesis, which <laughs> they do, but I never gave it a thought. And I was very pleased to find out it was very readable. <laughs> it wasn't like some old-fashioned text and it was all about community and I just found it fascinating and interesting and fabulous like you so having community and people to talk to and to remind us and lift us up I just think it's important as ever right now to remind us that we're all in this together yes and that we're resilient and that this is only a blink in time and we will get through it right and that's what it is yeah, I think that I just paraphrase what you were saying as far as uh, community and what kind of what got you through your hardest times. Because if we live in the despair, we I don't I, think we can get through. And I was told we don't all go through it at the same time. Like yes. despair, I won't be, and vice versa. So we can lift each other up when one's going through it, or we're not all exhausted at the same time, or maybe we right. are. Maybe everyone's exhausted, but we don't, we don't no, get on it. At the I think that's really true. I mean, the other day, Martin Luther King's son, who I believe is all, his name is also Martin Luther King, said at this time that we are physically distant, but spiritually connected. I love that. I do too. I love that. And I have to say that my own experience is is that is true right now. And I've actually feel more connected in many ways than I did before this pandemic, because there is so many opportunities for connection and community virtually. I mean, I've been able to study with people that I never would have been able to study before because they just, they went online. Everybody's online, not just you. <laughs> yeah, right, right. You're a trendsetter. I should get points for that, you know? Yep. <laughs> I know. Are there any last thoughts for anybody, for the person who just doesn't feel like getting out of bed? What would you tell that person? I would say that I would tell the story, actually, that my mentor, Rabbi Lawrence Kushner, told me about what he does when he doesn't feel like getting out of bed. He said that what he does when he lays there is that he will bring to mind something about one of his grandchildren that is guaranteed to bring him joy. Okay. So one, one of the things he says is like when, 
he took one of the grandchildren to some kind of kitty train and the grandchild was just so filled with delight to be on this little train that Rabbi Kushner says that when he just calls that scene to mind, it lifts him up. He has a couple stories that fill him with, you know, with joy. And so he, that is what helps him when he feels, I thought that was wonderful. It is very similar to, you know, traditional Jewish practice is that when you open your eyes in the morning, what you are supposed to say is grateful am I, thankful am I. And so a really good practice is just to think about when you wake in the morning, three things that you're grateful for. It might even be that your arms work, you know, or your dog comes up on the bed and cuddles with you. Or just something really simple, again, to remind yourself that there is good in the world and to search and find little bits of good. That or just find a good song and dance. Yes, that's <laughs> right. Yeah, right. I think it's really good to have like a toolkit. In fact, one of the first classes that I taught during COVID was your spiritual toolkit because I knew that, I mean, from what I was feeling, hearing from people in the community is like exactly what you're asking. What do I do when I feel so overwhelmed? What do I do when I feel weary? And there are simple things that you could do. It's essential to be in community. And I think it's important to be in a situation where you're learning because when you're learning, you are opening yourself to remember what you may have forgotten. That's great. And on that note, <laughs> say okay. thank you so much. You're welcome. Put a link for anybody who's interested in joining your community or checking yes. it. Put a link for that website. And if anyone wants to find out about Jill and all her communities, they're wonderful. And she's got meditations and all kinds of wonderful spiritual tools in her toolkit and her two new eBooks. You can find all that on our website or on hers. And thank you so much for joining us. You're welcome. So great to be here. And I wish you the best in your wonderful project. Thank you. A fabulous project. I hope you enjoyed this episode and can take into your week the messages of gratitude, community, and purpose that Rabbi Jill reminds us are just so important. Be sure to tune in next week when trans activist Ryan Casada enlightens us with his journey as one of the youngest trans activists. He's been an inspirational transgender leader since the age of only 13. He was on the Larry King show when he was only 15 years old. He was on Tyra Banks when he was young. He speaks openly about gender dysphoria, being transgender, bullying, and his personal transition from female to male, including surgery when he was only 18 years old. Discover how Ryan and found his voice at such a young age. Not only is Ryan a powerful speaker, he's also a musician, a writer, a filmmaker, and an actor. His energy is fun and contagious. This episode definitely will empower you to stand up for yourself and live authentically right now. Don't miss it. So until next week, please subscribe to the podcast, leave us a positive review, and send us feedback on our website, 52weeksofhope.com. I'm Lauren Abrams. Thanks for listening.